All right, we met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So uh, let's remember one another uh, with regard to uh, prayer. And we do have a prayer list over here to my left. Feel free to get you a copy and use it. I remember one another, and uh, certainly remember my wife, so remember Tommy, uh, and... Uh, <clears throat> that's important for each and every one of us to remember each other because you never know about tomorrow. Just ask the people over there in Afghanistan, you know, and uh, uh, remember them, especially the Americans and those who had been favorably disposed toward us. And I would remind everybody to take a look at my doctrine of war. I have two on their internet. On the internet, we have war. And on the podcast, we have... Uh, uh, war, moral or immoral. And it tells us what the Bible has to say about, uh, uh, war. And it's quite different than what we see going on today or actually has gone on for several years. We kind of play war rather than do war. So, uh, keep that in mind. Alright, let's go to the Lord in prayer, silent prayer. You, you use, uh, your prerogative to let the Lord know what you think ought to happen and you know what will happen will be the perfect thing. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and worship. Now I would ask that uh, you would guide and direct us throughout the rest of this service and... Uh, uh, keep us in your mind at all times, and we know you'll do that because you are a perfect God. All right. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Kenneth, come and lead us in a song. It's going to be a cappella again, so. Uh, Number 225. In other words, help him out. Let's sing first and fourth verses. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as i 
All right, by way of announcements, we are not going to have church here uh, next week because of certain difficulties I've got at home. And uh, we are going to have a lesson there. I will put on the Internet uh, a lesson as well as on the podcast, so you feel free to hear. You won't be without, you won't be without a lesson, so to speak. So, uh, then, uh, what happens after that? We'll just have to see. So, uh, announcements, uh, of course there will not be a, a prayer meeting or a Bible study at the middle of the week. Uh, so we're gonna have to kinda play it by ear here as long as Tommy is, uh, uh, sick. And we'll see, uh, just what does indeed happen. Alright, with that said, now Kenneth, how about coming and uh, lead us in another song? Okay. Hymn number 256. 256, let's stand and sing all three verses. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers ride, and rest the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in mail below, let all our strength be hurled. As an addendum to the announcements, I do think we will have services like two weeks from now. My granddaughter will be coming and she'll be staying with me. So uh, 
Uh, there's hope on the horizon and hopefully even better hope than I have ever dreamed or prayed for. So keep that in mind. All right, now then with reference to giving, uh, we have, as you know, in this church, a little different approach to giving because we don't believe in tithing. We don't believe in subscribing to the budget. We don't believe in bribing God. What we do believe in is what does the Bible have to say? Well, Bible has a lot to say, but particularly in two particular chapters, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, uh, it's devoted primarily to uh, uh, the uh, subject of giving, New Testament giving. So feel free to take a look at it. Plus, I have a doctrine of giving on the internet. I can't remember whether I have it on the podcast yet or not. I don't think I do, but I will one day, Lord willing, the crick doesn't rise. So, uh, uh, you know the drill. You, uh, can give whether you have anything to give or not simply by the want to. Uh, in addition to that, uh, uh, you ought not give if you can't give cheerfully. Uh, you should keep it. So that's the rule. And we have two plates up here at the front and there's one at the back. So at the end of the service, we will, uh, of course, make, you can make provision for giving. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And at that time, silent prayer, you can, you can give. So let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to worship, particularly to give. Now, I I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver, for I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, several weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the rapture of the church and eschatology, and I know most of you know uh, quite a bit about it, but I uh, thought I would uh, actually have a doctrine, and I changed the name of it, by the way. I changed it to The Taking, The Taking, Part 1. And uh, it's uh, really, it uh, could be named several things. I toyed with several. But uh, not the least of which would be ra- The Rapture or Rapto. But we have a rapture already on the Internet and on the podcast, so... Let's uh, go to point one in our lesson plan. The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo, and it means the state of being taken away or in the event when the taking occurs. And it only appears in the Latin translation of the New Testament, and that was done by Jerome in some 400. A lot of people think the Bible was written in Latin, especially a lot of Catholic folks. Uh, but it was not. It was written in the Koine Greek. And Jerome, I'm told, did a great job of translating it into the Latin. It's called the Vulgate. And that's the only tip place where a, a word uh, similar to rapture appears. And it's from the Latin word rapturo, which I just mentioned its meaning. And uh, the Latins, if you will, uh, translated harpazo as rapto. And that's from 1 Thessalonians 4.17, uh, where it is translated most often, be caught up. So it's a reference to a catching up. The Latin verb rapto means actually to be snatched away. The Greek word harpazo can be found 13 times in Scripture, 
where it is variously translated, I think five times, take by force, catch it away, pluck, caught away, caught up and pulling them. So you can see all five times there's some sort of taking as opposed to the second advent, which is when someone comes down the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a, it gives us an indication of a rapture per se. Now there are four major theories of the rapture. Uh, that is Christian theories. And they are the pre, post, mid, and partial. Although the partial uh, rapturists tend to be of the mid-tribulation persuasion. I have put the uh, chart on the board. No, I don't have put it on the board because I find that's disruptive when people see the glare. And in addition to that, I have to move away from the microphone in order to go to the to the uh, visual aid. But uh, here is the chart. It shows us pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. And as you can see from the chart, uh, all three of these uh, tribu- tribulation theories believe that Christ went to the cross, He took care of the sins of the world, and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. Uh, and uh, we are pre-tribulation in this particular church, as are most Christian denominations. Uh, and that, of course, can be best described as n- noting that the Church age, the age we're in right now, is going to uh, end someday with the rapture of the church. And there's nothing wrong with praying for the rapture of the church. In fact, I recommend it. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time when we all meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And of course, we'll meet those who preceded us in death. As the scripture says, I would not that ye would be ignorant, brethren, that the those who preceded us uh, will they will be brought back by the Lord and we'll meet them in the air. So the rapture will end the, tribu- the uh, church age. There's no event left. There's no signs. Don't get into this signs thing. That'll just get you confused. And a lot of people are making a lot of money on that. But there are no signs. The signs are all after the rapture takes place. And then you can know exactly when the second advent is going to occur. Not only because it's seven years after the rapture, but in addition, the Lord Himself gave us numerous signs that will take place before the second advent, but none for the rapture. So the rapture will take place, and then there will be a seven-year tribulation period, and then Christ will return. Then there will be a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on planet Earth, and then it will end with the destruction of planet Earth, and then there will be, uh, of course, the great white throne judgment of all unbelievers. And uh, then, of course, there will be a new heaven and a new earth uh, and eternity future. Now, the mid-tribulation uh, theorists, if you will, are very similar. They too believe that Christ died on the cross and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life uh, and that the rapture will occur without any signs whatsoever, but uh, they believe that only a partial group will be raptured, those who look for His coming, actually, and that they will be raptured, and that will be in the middle of the tribulation. So there will be some folks, in their theory, who will go through the tribulation, 
and the various things uh, described in not only the Gospels, but also in the Gospel, the, the Old Testament, the Gospels, and of course the book of the Revelation. And then you can see Christ would return and that same thing happens, the thousand year reign and then eternity future after the destruction of planet Earth and the great white throne. Then there are the post-tribulation folks. And this was quite popular some time ago. I remember when I was working with Campus Crusade for Christ, we had uh, uh, some popularity, if you will, of the post-tribulation period. That's where the church itself goes through the tribulation. And in the second chapter of the book of Second Thessalonians, this is refuted without question. And uh, that is to say the post-tribulation where the church goes through the tribulation. They will not go through the tribulation, though, uh, as I've noted, there were some who decided, and I, I found it amusing when I would take some of them on who were members of the Campus Crusade for Christ and say, oh, that was all explained to me. We are going to go through the tribulation. I said, well, why do you say that? Can you give me some scriptures? And they say, well, why should we not go through the tribulation, you know? And I thought, well, that's awful silly, you know. Why should we not go? So that's the reason why we're going to go through it, you know. We, it's uh, kind of crazy, if you will. So uh, that's the post-tribulation group. They believe in Christ as the Savior and that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. But then they believe the tribulation will occur and there will be all sorts of Billy Heck breaking out on planet Earth and the Antichrist will appear and so forth. And uh, of course one of the... There are many, many reasons why not that you can find in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 where one of the things Paul says, uh, when I was with you, did I not tell you so? And so where is the Antichrist now? Where is the temple? Where is the false prophet? You know, and of course, uh, those folks who believe the lie uh, would say, well, uh, you know, uh, Hitler, one time, you know, during World War II, I can't remember which one was the Antichrist, Mussolini, I think, and Hitler was the Antichrist. And then when John Kennedy got a head wound, he was the Antichrist, and you know, and uh, Onassis, Onassis was something and all sorts of make-believe stuff. But uh, they believe, of course, that, that the church will go through it. And then Christ would return. So basically they think the rapture and the, and the second advent were the same. They do believe in a 1,000-year millennium. Now there is a group called Amillennialists, and uh, that's predominantly the the Catholic Church, not individual priests. Now, don't don't quote me on that because many priests uh, I ran into a priest one day who believed in pre-tribulation. I thought, well, he'll never get anywhere in the Catholic Church. But the point being, uh, they actually believe that uh, uh, we're all working together, and the more we work, the harder we work. The, that's when everything gets perfect. Then Christ will come back. Now, that's a true optimist when you look at the world today and all the things that are going on in the world today. It ain't getting better, folks. It's getting worse and worse and worse, it seems. But it goes through spells where it's good, and then it's bad, then it's good, then it's bad, and uh, then we have an election. But the point being, uh, it's just the uh, way things happen, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, that's the amillennialist who basically doesn't believe in as I say in point three, point one, point one, there is also the Amillennialist who allegorizes eschatological scriptures and therefore 
do not view the rapture or the second advent as an event. So those are the three, and you know we're pre-trip, and uh, mighty proud of it, because it's documented in the Scripture without a doubt. Alright, why are there so many theories of the rapture? Because, uh, I'll tell you why. The etymology provides no real key in a technical sense. In other words, there is no a particular word that applies to the rapture and a particular word that applies to the second advent. Uh, they are used interchangeably and they're often used in ways not related to eschatology in any way. Uh, so there are three Greek words used interchangeably for the eschatological events called the rapture and the second advent, interchangeably. The three words are also used to describe events non-technical. And in this doctrine, it's important to understand those uses which are not related to eschatology. When I use the term in this particular doctrine of non-technical, I mean non-technical in the sense that it is not referring to eschatology. And when I use that word eschatology, I'm sure most of you know, having been in this church for a while, it comes from the Greek word uh, eschatos, which means last in other words, the last days, eschatology, the study of the last days. Okay, and let's take a look at uh, the uses which are not related to eschatology, just to give you an idea why there's confusion about uh, three different, or actually four different versions of, of uh, rapture theory. Uh, let's take a look at some of those uses which do not relate to eschatology, but they are related at other times to eschatology. For example, here they go. Perusia means to be near or to come alongside. I always think about the, the road to Emmaus when my brother was singing songs all over central Texas, uh, the gospel songs. And uh, he called me one day and said, Jerry, what's, is there anything in the Bible about a road to Emmaus? I found this really great song, but I don't know anything about Emmaus. And I had to redirect him and say, well, here's the scriptures on the road to Emmaus, Brother Bill. And he's, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, but this is when people came alongside the Lord Jesus. Uh, actually, the Lord Jesus came alongside some people walking down a road. And uh, the word there for coming alongside was parousia. Parousia. All right, then uh, there's apocalypsis, which means to reveal to uncover or to unveil. Sometimes it's referring to things other than that related to eschatology. And there's epiphania, which means to bring forth to light, to show forth. All right, so those are three, what I call non-technical in this particular doctrine. They don't relate to eschatology. So that's what causes a problem because there's not one that relates to eschatology and one that doesn't relate to eschatology. They're used interchangeably. All right, let's take a look at them. I'll take the first one first. How's that? Uses of parousia. All right, parousia. The word is used some 24 times in the New Testament. Non-technical. Five times, by the way. There's no eschatological meaning. Let's look at some of the non-technical uses. For example... Stephanos and others arrive at Ephesus from Corinth. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17. I am glad of the coming. See, that's not an eschatological term. 
the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, or Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. So it's just talking about these three guys who showed up where Paul was and they brought him some money. In other words, so he could eat. So he could actually uh, live like a human being. And uh, uh, that was uh, uh, their coming alongside. It was a good thing for Paul. He liked that. But it's not related to eschatology. So you can see how it's not related. Now we're going to see how it is related to eschatology at other places. But that will be under another heading. Alright, and then we have Titus did well. We're still talking about Perusia now. Notice 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6 and 7. It says, Nevertheless, God that com- comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. Now I mentioned this particular verse once before and a little story behind it because it's uh, most unusual. You know, there's a 1 Corinthians, a 2 Corinthians, and there's a 3 Corinthians. But we don't have 3 Corinthians. But 3 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote when he was really lighting into, jumping on, if you will, the Corinthians for all the things that they'd said and done about him. And he just let them have it. And uh, then he got to worrying about it. He got to thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't written that daggone letter because I just don't, you know, I probably shouldn't have done it. I probably should have cooled off. You know, they always say when you're mad at somebody and you write a letter, well, read it several times, you know. And maybe by the third time you'll cool off a little bit and take out some of the, 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 the hard part of it, the tough part of it. Uh, but, uh, so he asked Titus to go on over there and see how they did. And I, in other words, he was afraid they may have forsaken the entire, uh, body of Christianity, you know, because of the fact he had told them how the cow ate the cabbage and how bad they were. And so when he came back, uh, this is what he said in the seventh chapter of second Corinthians. So you have first Corinthians, you have an interim book, and then, then you have second Corinthians. So he said, nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. You remember I told you he was so upset that he couldn't even preach over there on the Turkey side of the uh, of the uh, the Gulf or not not a Gulf but a little isthmus, uh, and uh, he just couldn't do it. You know he was too upset. But when Titus came, he told him everything was okay. I was there. You know everything went fine. They're not also been out of shape that they forsaken Christianity, you know. Not that they could, but he was worried, you know, that they might be so discomforted that they they would be uh, mad, you know, at the whole world. All right, so much for that. I'm not getting into that one. I think I covered that when I covered the book of Second Corinthians and First Corinthians. All right, now let's go to another use of Perusia where it means weak am I. Second Corinthians ten ten. And again, we are looking at what? We're looking at the non-technical uses. Notice 2 Corinthians 10.10. For his letters, this is what the Corinthians said about him, one of many evil things that they like to talk about him. For his letters, say they, 
are weighty and powerful, but his bodily, bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So they didn't think he looked like a he-man, you know, that he was, uh, you know, weak and, and, uh, they didn't like the way his nose looked. They didn't like the fact he was bald-headed, so we're told. Uh, but, uh, when he writes us, he writes us that you gotta do this and you gotta do that, but when he shows up, he's very nice and he speaks, uh, eloquently and, uh, but, uh, contemptibly. So you can see how it's used there as presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Alright, now notice how it's used to mean I look forward to visiting you Philippians. Philippians 1.26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Again, a reference to his coming to Philippi. You remember he came to Philippi as he crossed the, the uh, Hellas point. That was the word I was trying to think about just a moment ago. But the Hellas point. And uh, he then moved from uh, uh, landing down to Philippi. And then he writes to them in the book of Philippi uh, that they might rejoice even more when he shows up again. And notice how it talks about his coming. It's not talking about the second coming. Not talking about the rapture. It's talking about his physical coming. And then the fifth is, uh, you must live your own life whether I am there or not. And again from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Now see, it's translated presence. It doesn't mean the second advent. doesn't mean the, uh, the uh, uh, rapture. But his presence only. But now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Referring to your, uh, your sanctification, phase two sanctification as you live the Christian life. Take in the Word of God and grow in His grace. Alright, now let's look at some technical uses. We're changing gears here. Uh, we're going from the non-technical to the technical. And uh, you remember what I told you that's going to be. That's going to be eschatological uses of the Word. Alright, technical uses, there are four of them to describe an eschatological event. Uh, for example, in Matthew chapter 24... Give us a sign of your coming. Uh, and of course, in that chapter 24, it's a dissertation primarily on the end of the tribulation, but there are references to the rapture and the second advent in these passages. In other words, to both of them. And I'm going to read you uh, Matthew 24, 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming. That would be the second advent, and the end of the world, and that would better be translated age, the end of the age, because it's ion, it's not cosmos. So the end of the age, in other words, the age he's talking about that, when Christ returns, uh, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And there's so many, many, many signs of his coming at the second advent, not a reference again to the rapture of the church. 
All right, you will know when I come, as I continue to talk about Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, you will know when I come, second advent. The second advent can be determined with great accuracy because of the rapture which begins the countdown. There are numerous signs of the second advent, but none for the rapture. And when I say the countdown, what would the countdown mean there? Well, the rapture happens seven years later, the second advent is going to happen. So if you're living, of course, and the rapture happens and you don't make it, pardon the expression, you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, uh, seven years from now, the, the second advent is going to take place. You know that as a fact. But in addition to that, there are many, many signs that Jesus gave that will happen during that interim period. That is to say, before the second advent will take place. So both rapture and the second advent will come suddenly, no doubt. In his answer to the disciples, Christ has reference to his second advent and not the rapture. And when I say suddenly now, it's not suddenly like the rapture, but suddenly uh, these events occur and many people say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that uh, this is going to happen, that the temple is going to be destroyed and uh, uh, not a stone will be left, you know, unturned, etc., etc., uh, and that uh, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't believe all that. So that for those people, it will be sudden. And then all of a sudden, the second advent will take place when all the armies of the world gather. Just think about it. All the armies of the world will gather together, and they'll be waiting there at the Valley of Megiddo in order to beat, you know, beat up on the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll say, oh boy, here he comes. We're going to get him. So the armies of the world were there. They don't believe. See, in other words, he's going to come suddenly for them. Uh, and of course, even some of the Jewish believers who have decided that, well, it's over, you know, the armies of the world are all up there in Megiddo, and I understand they're on the way as a large force of, of uh, folks who are armed, well-armed, and they're going to kill all of us. So they all back up and they get near the temple and they get in their fighting holes. You know, as I said, fighting holes. You're in the army, it's a foxhole. The Marines, it's a fighting hole. But anyway, they all get back and they get in their holes and they're ready to fight, you know, and, but they're scared to death, yeah, but there's nothing they can do about it. And then they've got these two Bible teachers who are in the, in the city of Jerusalem who are teaching that, hey, here's what's going to happen. You guys get in your fighting holes and get ready. But there's going to come a period of 24 hours of absolute darkness. So dark that when you light a match, you won't even be able to see the match. The light of the match until it burns your nose. So it's going to be a good time. When that happens, you be happy. Because that means Christ is coming back. He's coming back to deliver you. And of course, that's exactly what happens. And he destroys all those who came to to uh, destroy Israel first and then Christ later. But uh, fortunately, they die right where they're standing. And there's so many dead in that battlefield that... Uh, the Lord Jesus has to call all the flesh-eating birds of the earth, the world, uh, to eat up all the flesh before he can start his millennial reign of perfection. Uh, so that will be a wonderful, wonderful day. So you will know when the second advent is coming uh, because of ver- various signs. But there's some people who don't believe the signs, just like there's some people today who don't believe the Bible. You know, they're, they're all around us uh, uh, and it's just a sad state of affairs, but you can't do anything about it. All you do is get the Word of God out. Then notice Matthew twenty four twenty seven, 
For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. All right, and their coming is that particular word. It's one of the technical uses because it's referring to an eschatological use, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So things will be normal when I come at both the rapture and the second advent. We find the, the third use, if you will, of, uh, uh, of this particular word. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm going to read it for you. It says, but as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man may be. And it goes on to say, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and uh, 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 marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So again, a reference to things will be quite normal at that time. People will be doing the things that they normally do. And then in verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That was the fourth use. All right, so much for those four particular uses. Uh, now let's go to Matthew chapter 24 for an overview, and maybe we'll learn something from the 24th chapter, and maybe we won't. I suspect that we will, knowing this group. All right, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Now, of course, that did occur in 70 A.D. in the month of August when the Romans came and destroyed the temple. And actually, they ran all the Jews out of the Holy Land. I remember reading any particular magazine. I can't remember the name of the magazine now, but it's quite reputable. It said uh, in there that you could not find a Jew in uh, uh, the Holy Land for 25 years after the destruction of the temple. And, of course, that's where they got dispersed all over the world. And it was because they rebelled against Rome. And, of course, you don't do that because Rome didn't like that, doesn't like that, hasn't liked that. And, of course, I'm going to read now Matthew 24, 1 and 2, where Christ himself predicted the destruction of the temple. All right, Jesus left the temple. This is verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples, or when his disciples came up to him, and they called his attention to the building. He said, look at this. I showed you all a picture one day. I was very surprised myself to see it. The temple was huge. It was like a multi-story building. It was beautiful. And I had that book that someone had given us, and a huge book. You know, it's one of these kind of books that's not, you either put them on the table or you put them on a shelf. You don't read them, you know, because, but anyway, it was a wonderful picture. And of course, you can imagine them pointing up. It'd be like you pointing up at, uh, uh, the Taj Mahal or, or maybe, in, uh, you know, in Rome where you, uh, see the, the beautiful, beautiful buildings there. And, uh, they were pointing to it and talking to him about it. And, uh, they were walking away. Do you see all these things? He asked a reference to the disciple. I tell you the truth, not one stone. This is Christ responding. One stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And of course, that's exactly what happened at the uh, 70 AD uh, Roman destruction. 
All right, uh, now see in the millennium, Christ will build his temple, but it won't be destroyed. This is talking about the 70 AD historical event. See, the, the Jews started a war in them roughly uh, 65 or so AD, and uh, they were going to, you know, muscle the Romans out of there. And unfortunately, kind of like we see today over in Afghanistan, it just didn't work, you know, but the point being, it just uh, was... Uh, uh, a, a losing battle. In fact, it was Josephus who wrote a history of it. Josephus was actually a, a Roman uh, soldier, a Roman officer. He was actually, a, I would call him a general officer for lack of a better term. And he could see that the, the Jews were just not going to win. They were going to suffer and they were going to lose. And so he uh, resigned his commission, if you will, from the from the Jewish army and became a historian. And that's why he wrote his several books of history, Josephus. And it's uh, one of the... Josephus as a historian in the books that he wrote, plus the uh, uh, the, uh, the Jewish books. I'm trying to think of the name of them. They start with an A. I'll get there one of these days. But... Uh, that's the only history we have of the interim period between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, but uh, it's an excellent history. All right, so uh, they were fighting the Romans, and the Romans won and destroyed the temple. Long story short. And the disciples asked the Lord, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your return? The disciples assumed his coming will end the world. They know nothing about eschatology. Uh, and that was certainly true. They knew nothing about eschatology. It would take the Holy Spirit some time to explain to all these folks. You'll remember Peter was uh, uh, preached that awful sermon in the second chapter of the book of Acts where he told them all just to stay right here now because the Lord's going to come back at any minute. He's going to come back any minute. So you guys just all stay here. Come on, let the people in. Let the people Oh, and they begin to surround the area, you know, and they begin to... Uh, buy this and buy that, and then finally they ran out of money, you know, and it was old Barnabas had to go to sell some property of his and bring it back, and and uh, they had no idea about the church age. They had no idea about the tribulation. They had no idea about the second advent of Christ or the millennial reign of Christ. They thought he was coming back right away, set up his kingdom. But it took some time for them to learn. The Holy Spirit had to train them. And they went through all sorts of traumatic events in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a history book. It's not a book of doctrine. It's a history book. Uh, so it was very difficult for them to, uh, uh, if you will, know what was going to take place. Uh, but that's another story for another time. And we've studied the book of Acts before, and I'm sure you'll remember that or some of it. All right, so as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, tell us, tell us what will happen. When will it happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Oh, Jesus first explains there will be certain events taking place before the rapture. These are things we see today. Deception, wars, rumors of war, nation rising against nation, famines and earthquakes. Do you see that today? Of course you do. All you have to do is turn on your television and make yourself sick at your stomach. But it's just uh, the way things are, especially you go to a news station. 
I found yesterday, I, the only news I could find was on Fox News. Every time I turned to another station, they had some sporting event on. Like, you know, this doesn't matter. You know, this doesn't matter. The networks don't really care, you know. Uh, but uh, there's horror going on over there in Afghanistan. Terrible, terrible thing. You know, shouldn't have been there? Sure, that's right. But getting out was not very well planned. Not very well planned at all. But that's another subject for another matter. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. So get back, preacher. Get back on the, on the Bible. All right, notice, I'm going to read what Jesus said. Jesus chapter 24, beginning verse 4, reading through verse 8. Jesus answered, <clears throat> Are you ready? Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you know, historically, there were many. And they are mentioned, not all, but some in the New Testament. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Now that shoots in the foot all those guys who sit on television and try to tell you that, oh, the Lord is about to come back any minute. We're all waiting and looking around for Him, you know. He, he's coming any second, you know. There are wars and rumors of wars and armies marching here and armies marching there. There are no signs. Just think of World War II. Man, that would have been a place where you could really uh, develop a theory of the Lord's coming back any minute, you know. Oh, look how bad things are. Look what the Japs are doing to our boys. Look what the, the Germans are doing to our boys. Look what our boys are doing to them, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. In other words, just the beginning. All right, now Jesus next moves to the events of the tribulation. All right, now let's go to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read verse 9, then we're going to read on through verse 14. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now that certainly happened to the Jews, did it not? Without a doubt. And I always think of that poor, poor, well, it wasn't, wasn't poor, but it's so sad. So sad what they said when Jesus, you know, when they hollered out and said, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And then they said that really, really bad thing. We'll take responsibility for it, and our children will take responsibility. And I thought about Germany, and I thought about the Auschwitz and all the things that have happened to them and wherever they've gone. They've been punished. Uh, and uh, not that that is necessarily the only way, but uh, uh, our only reason, but the point being they certainly ask for responsibility for the crucifixion of Christ. All right, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. My gosh, reading on verse 10 now through verse 14. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. 
then the end will come. So, of course, that's a reference to what will happen uh, in the, the various, uh, what we might call gospel accounts, in other words, synoptic gospel in particular. All right, Christ warns of the abomination that causes desolation, an event prophesied by Daniel. Daniel says this event will take place in the middle of the tribulation. You can see the doctrine of Daniel's 70th week on the internet for more details. But in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 in particular, uh, but also in chapter 12 verse 11 and chapter 11 verse 31, and on our home page of our internet, you can see a, a uh, reference to Daniel. And those are not just the book of Daniel written. That's the, all of the lessons that I taught about Daniel. Uh, you know, probably uh, 30 or 40 pages uh, per chapter where we went in and went into the great detail of the book of Daniel. But particularly in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, he speaks of an event that took place in the, or will take place in the middle of the tribulation. And of course, Christ mentioned it. So Daniel prophesied it. Christ mentioned it. In the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of the desolation, that's where the Antichrist has a statue built of himself. Right in the middle of the tribulation. In other words, remember the tribulation is divided up into two periods. And in the middle of the tribulation, right before the great tribulation, uh, the f- first seven and a- first uh, three and a half years of the tribulation are are, are generally referred to as uh, uh, the uh, Satan's failed utopia, and then the last three and a half years, of course, are the, called the Great Tribulation. In other words, Satan kind of rules the world during the first half, and then in the middle of the tribulation, you have chapter eleven, where you have the events that took place in Jerusalem, and you had. Uh, of course, uh, they took uh, old Elijah and Moses, the two witnesses, and they laid them out in the, you know, on a beer, B-E-I-R, not false staff, but they laid them out on a beer and they, uh, had killed them. And then all of a sudden, they heard a voice from heaven and they rose up and then a big earthquake occurred and 7,000 people died in Jerusalem. That was in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, well, in the middle of the tribulation also, that's where things change for the Antichrist. Things go south, if you will, for the Antichrist. But one of the things that takes place is that there is a statue built in the temple of the Antichrist. And he's been, he's had a terrible head wound. This is how people got to thinking John Kennedy might be the Antichrist way back when, mistakenly. Uh, but, uh, they lay out the Antichrist and uh, the false prophet is preaching over him, and, and all of a sudden the Antichrist raises up, and uh, they had just made a great big statue to him, and he raises up and is revived. And that's the abomination of the desolation because it takes place inside the temple. And that's mentioned over in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and also mentioned in Matthew Christ himself mentions it. And I'm going to read you Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, reading through verse 20, where you have a reference to the uh, uh, abomination of the desolation. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So when you see standing in the holy place, that would be the temple, 
the abomination, that's the statue in the temple, that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. And I put a bracketed statement there. Daniel 9.27, close bracket. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Because see, that's the beginning of the time of great persecution. Because the things are going to go to, again, as I say, south, which I say sometimes, probably shouldn't say that. But let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Again, a reference to what will take place in the last half of the tribulation period. And they are to go south. And uh, we don't know exactly where south is, except most conclude that it's uh, down in Edom, uh, where they will be protected by God. Uh, so if they're smart, first of all, you ought not be in Jerusalem in the middle of the, of the tribulation period. Uh, you ought to not be there, but in the events you see the abomination and the desolation, you have Christ saying, get out of there now and go south where God will protect you. And uh, that, of course, is what I hope a lot of folks do. See, we won't be there. We'll be raptured. In other words, as I go through these scriptures, sometimes I think, I wonder if people think that they're going to be there. No, no, no. See, faith alone in Christ alone gets you a ticket for the rapture. And that's when the Lord Himself shall descend from the heavens with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together and meet them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, because when we go up, we will meet our all those who precede us in death. Those who die before we, of course, die. We will meet them in the air, and it will be a glorious, glorious time. All right, so much for the abomination of desolation and what people should do who uh, are hanging around in Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation. So Christ describes further details concerning the events following the abomination of that which causes desolation. It is during the last three and one half years of the tribulation, commonly called the Great Tribulation. The first three and a half years, commonly called Again, Satan's failed utopia. That's where he tries to make, you know, everything perfect on planet Earth. And uh, he believes in internationalism. Uh, he believes in uh, world government, you know. And he's trying to make everything just right, but he can't quite get it right. Mainly because of those two witnesses, Elijah and Moses, who are turning the water into blood and other wonderful things that they do. They did the same things they did when they were in, involved in the Old Testament uh, events. Alright, so the first three and one half years of the tribulation has been called Satan's failed utopia. Alright, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 24 now, beginning in verse 21. We're going to read through verse 27. Further description of the events that will take place. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, 
or there he is. Do not believe it. See, those are the guys on TV now. You know, oh, it's coming, you know, it's heaven. You bow, and that army's over there. That army's moving very quickly into the Middle East, and now they're here, and now they're there, and so. But let me read on. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Where there is a carcass, there will the vultures gather. Again, in reference to the fact that Christ will come back and destroy all the armies of the world. And he will deliver Israel. And a big earthquake will take place where his foot touches down and he'll open up the back of, again, Jerusalem and they shall get out. And I'll put you an eschatological chart on there just so you can see the rapture of the church, Satan's failed utopia, then the great tribulation, how Satan is expelled out of planet earth. That's in the 12th chapter of the book of the Revelation. Then the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. And of course, then the revelation, revolution at the end of the millennium. And I know most of you who've been with us know that that revolution is talking about Satan himself. Uh, Satan is chained for that first part of the millennium. He's chained down there in a, oh, probably a semblance of Tartarus or Tartarao, as it's known. Uh, and uh, then at the very end of the millennial reign of perfection, see, it's perfection. The kingdom is a perfect place. But then God lets the Satan out and he goes about. And, and just so you know that perfect environment contrary to what you read in the Al Gore's book. Perfect environment is not the answer. In fact, uh, uh, we have perfect environment in the millennium. Uh, and then uh, God permits Satan to come out and he convinces the world that we could even make it better than perfect. And he goes and he talks to all the various leaders of the world and says, you know, follow me. And what we've got to do now is Jesus Christ is living in His great, giant, beautiful temple uh, in the millennium. And let's go charging up there and let's get Him and let's kill Him again. And if we can get rid of Him again, we can have even a better place, you know. We can have even a better place. Well, Christ doesn't even give them the time of day. He just speaks their demise and demise they are. Uh, they're gone. They're history. And that's where we have, of course, the things that happen in the way of the great white throne judgment where Satan is cast permanently into a lake of fire. And unbelievers are cast permanently into a lake of fire. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful time of victory for Christianity. All right, King Jesus will return to deliver Israel at the end of the tribulation. Notice Matthew 24, 29, 30, and 31. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. 
All right, so much for that. Now I see the time says we need to stop, and that we shall do. And again, I will not. We will not have our Wednesday night service, and we will not have our uh, our service here on Sunday morning. Uh, but I will have something on the internet. And I would urge you to look at it. It's not that hard to turn on your computer. It's not that hard to get your phone and turn to the podcast and and uh, spend a little time in the Word of God. It's, Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So with that said, let's have an invitation. Invitation to the extent that it's an invite to anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. Jesus Christ had you perfectly in mind when He went to the cross and took care of all of your sins, past, present, and future. In fact, He could, took care of all of the sins of the world, uh, as you may remember from the charts that we've had if you've been following us on the internet or the podcast. And if you haven't, shame on you. But all sin is taken care of. So what's the issue? What has God got against you? Simply that you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all we've got to do. You know, Jesus came unto His own. Don't forget that. His own was Israel, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. Again, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father in the privacy of your mind without jumping through any psychological hoops, walking an aisle, raising your hand, or doing anything except faith alone in Christ alone. So I'll pause for just a very short moment to allow you to do that. And uh, by doing that, you can save yourself eternity in a lake of fire. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to worship. Now I would ask a very special blessing upon uh, those who have heard the word today. And I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would make clear that which I have taught. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.